Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me, as always, my life partner, my partner in crime, my co-workout gal, my motivator, my inspirational person, my, uh, did I miss something? Uh, mother of my I'm sure you missed a dragon lot of things mother of my dragon children <laughs> my boys yeah. her name is I'm just Jen yeah you are yeah I'm what I'm I'm actually wondering do people still use the word gal you called me a gal did I yeah what is did it? that come out of my mouth yeah like I feel like you've gone country again <laughs> gal <laughs> hey y'all I've never been called gal you haven't been called a gal before no, that's weird. It's kind of a weird word. Yeah, I think it's old-fashioned. Really? Yeah. I like, think it was before my time. Really? Yeah. Gal? Yeah. Well, you get called lady in Mexico all the time. Yeah, but that's because that's what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> that annoys me, too. I know, that's so funny. Lady, so, lady, hey, lady. A, there, yeah, there's a there's a the place where we get massages down in Cabo at, a, at our place down there, and the... the <laughs> The masseuses is that how do you the masseuse? Mm. How do you how do you say multiple masseuses? Is it masseuses? Is I, there such a word? What's I do the plural? Not know. I do not know. Anyway, the Ma- massage therapists. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I uh, did I say too many? The therapists. Yes, massage therapists. There, that was good. That See? was good enunciation. Yeah. Anyway, um, broken English, very little English, oftentimes. Right, and they'll, they'll just look at you and go, "Hey, lady." <laughs> lady, lady, pressure good? Lady. I take offense to it because I feel like they're like yelling at me. Lady, come here. <laughs> like they're like very demanding. And I'm like, no, don't talk to me like that. You can ask me nicely. Like I feel like it's very like direct and just kind of odd. So, so if they don't know your name and they're not calling you lady, what would you, how would you prefer to be addressed? I tell them every time my name is Shakira. <laughs> Why don't they understand? <laughs> oh, you do. I forgot that you said that. Yeah, that's my name in Mexico. Why Why Shakira? Because people like to call me Jan, like J-A-N, and that's just like saying gal. Yeah, for you me. don't like that. I don't like lady, Jan, or gal. So your name is Jennifer. It's Shakira. <laughs> <laughs> just Shakira. So your name is Jennifer. But you don't go by Jennifer. No. Unless I'm addressing you because you're in trouble. Yes. Okay. But you go by Jen. Oh my gosh. One of the guests was calling me Jennifer the other day. I know. I was like, oh my God. Like every time he that said Jennifer, little, I was triggered. I'm like, I'm in trouble. What did I do? Was, I don't even know little, this guy. That was a little strange. Right? Yeah, I thought so. But don't call you Jenny. No, I don't like Jenny. Not for me. Yeah. And don't call you Jan. Don't call me Jan. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like that one either. I'll just call you woman. That's why I go by just Jen. You are woman. You are strong. You are woman. I'm Viking woman. Oh, man. Yeah. I You're guess. a Viking warrior, princess, queen woman. Did you know that the Viking warriors were women? I know some of them. Like you watch <laughs> one show on one Viking like general lady and now you're it was saying a documentary they were, it was real i know but now you're saying all of the vikings were women they were what yeah well you've got it all wrong you know here's what's all wrong i the longer i live mm-hmm. the more i realize how powerful and smart women are 
oh my gosh, I know. Why is it taking you so long to figure that one out? Because I'm a man. <laughs> True that. You have to be self-aware enough to recognize that maybe you are not the superior race. Right. And then you have to be confident enough and secure enough in yourself to recognize that somebody else is better. But like women are like they're more level headed. They're less like Mm -hmm. violent and emotional. Like most of the time, at least you are. You're like (laughs) you're like I'm the chick. You're the dude. I wouldn't say less emotional. I am less emotional. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can't. I guess we can't paint everybody with a broad brush <laughs> We're but you know different. I know I'm just I I guess I just am your fan <laughs> Well good thing I'm your fan too I'm a fanboy Hey <laughs> Is that what they call them You are a fan What do you call it I fangirl I've heard but like yeah. is there such thing as fanboy Yeah sure I don't know <laughs> I don't here's, have no fans Here's what I know it's time for joke time I love joke time. We, Jennifer and I, mm-hmm. are. I called you Jennifer. I know. Why did I do that? I don't know. I don't even pay attention anymore. All right. Jen and I are going to do joke time, and we're going to figure out who's funnier. Okay. Me or you? Is funnier a word? Because you told me it wasn't. We're going to figure out who is more funny. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. All right. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? You can go first if you want. Okay. So here's your question. How do you make holy water? Jen? You, ah, I know this one. How do you make holy water? That's my my Jeopardy sound. That wasn't very good, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You boil the hell out of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I remember in Mexico, they... Uh, we're throwing the Pope was throwing holy water on us. Yeah, I just wanted some to hit me. And then I heard that it's their urine. Stop it! I'm it not is kidding. not. You I are being ridiculous right now. I I don't even want to think about that. I just I, said I wanted holy water to hit me. Now I don't want nothing to hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, it touched no, me. No, yes. I think that's an urban wives' tale. There's no way. Well, I believe there's it. no way there's urine and holy water from the Pope. I don't know, but I Jennifer, am not going to figure it out again. I am not receiving that at all. <laughs> that is gross. Hey, I'm just telling people. So. That's grody. Grody to the max. Yeah, we're not going to think about that. Anyway. Okay, um, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready for your job. Okay. What kind of cake, I like cake jokes, do baseball players like the most? What kind of cake do baseball players like the most? Home run cake. Bunt cake. Uh, <laughs> I I do love me some nothing but bunt cakes. I guess I would have gotten that if I was more of a foodie. Yeah. That seems like an obvious one. Like if I had thought about it a little bit more, a bunt, a well, bunt Maybe cake. you should think about it a little bit more. Now I'm upset with myself that I didn't <laughs> get that answer. It's okay. Nobody gets my jokes but me. No. Yeah. you. I get your jokes all the time. You just don't get mine. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yours are complex for All the brain. Right. Well, I, I've got to tell you, I've got a fascinating interview that we're going to have, mm-hmm. which all I do is have fascinating interviews, if yeah. you haven't noticed. That's my adjective for I've loved interviews. every one of our interviews. I, I mean, have, too. Like, really awesome people. We we sometimes, well, Sean does, um, he pre-talks to these people, so we make sure that they're- I pre-talk to them. You pre-talk. 
That's yeah. a pre-talk. Yeah. Well, you know, but you just got to get acquainted a little he, bit. Yeah, and he makes sure that they're a perfect fit for our show, so. Yes. Well, I've got another one. I've got Anthony Acampora coming mm-hmm. on, and uh, I, I just really, this guy is on the front lines of the hope battle, okay, yeah. because he is a director and chaplain at one of Banyan Treatment Centers. So there's 13 centers throughout the country, but he's a director and chaplain uh, of a program at Banyan Treatment Centers called Faith in Recovery. And so he's on the front lines dealing with people that are dealing with addiction and, um, you know, mental yeah. health problems, etc. And so I just, I want to get him on the line and talk to him about the subject of hope. So shall we call him? Let's call him. All right, let's get him on the line. All right, I've got Anthony A. Campora on the line. Welcome to the show, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Hey, we're happy to have you along. I know that, uh, I mean, you've got such an interesting job in, relative to the subject of hope and encountering people. I know you're the director and chaplain of Faith and Recovery, which is a subset of the Banyan Treatment Centers. I know there's 13 of those uh, nationwide. And so you work every single day with people that are dealing with significant challenges in their life, usually through addiction. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And so you guys are in treatment? Are you guys an in-treatment uh, process? In other words, people come to you, they stay there for a certain number of days. Is that how it works? Yeah, yes. They stay here. It's called PHP, Partial Hospitalization Program. The residence where they actually stay is about two blocks from here, so it's very close. And they come from all over the country. I mean, most of our clients are actually from out of state. Some come specifically for this type of programming. We just had a lady, an older lady, that just came in. She saw it on uh, online, and she came in for the faith program. Some of them are existing clients that just transfer in. Like, we just had one just now, like, uh, about 10 minutes ago, that transferred in. So it's a combination. We meet them right where they're at. I mean, if they don't have to be Bible scholars to come in to this program. In fact, some of them never even been to church or saw a Bible. So... Uh, they they come in like that, but they they don't leave like that usually. So, uh, so we don't turn anyone away at all. Well, I, you know, I was real curious to to chat with you because you know I've heard some some statistics that are alarming relative to COVID and the effect that it's had on people in general, and the rise of things such as spousal abuse, domestic violence, but also addiction. Because you know, anytime people are going through anxiety, uncertainty you know, like fear and, and worry and all that, like, yeah, I think that they t- tend to want to numb it or go to something to soothe it. And so have you guys noticed um, an effect within the treatment centers based on COVID? Has there been any analysis like that that uh, you've done or seen? It, it, I mean, it was packed here right after the initial wave in like March, April, for about two, two and a half months, we were actually full in the, in the faith program and the whole center was packed. So, and a lot of them said things like, you know, there's, there's no control over this and you see it's all over the world and people realize, Hey, I better get with God. I need to get my faith straightened out. It's a bunch of people have said that, but the whole thing with the uh, CDC guidelines and the, and the, you know, Corona task force and everything with this is the exact opposite of what we would be telling them to do. So staying alone, isolating, that's the last thing we would want somebody in treatment or early recovery to do. And and that's basically, you know, part of the guidelines. They can't go to meetings. 
They can't interact with people. Um, and like you said, you're exactly right. I mean, there's so much fear and worry that comes with that. And the reason they're using a substance to begin with most of the time is to numb the pain of whatever they're going through. So not only do they have the original pain, now they have this whole new thing of uncertainty. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to be able to survive this? What if I get this illness? So, I mean, suicides have been through the roof, um, addictions through the roof, like all of these different things. We've noticed our mental health program is still is still packed. I mean, we've been so busy since this whole thing happened, and it's definitely attributed to uh, this COVID-19. Yeah, and, and that's one of the biggest reasons why, obviously, we started the Hope Radio podcast was to try to make a dent in some of that anxiety because I felt like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do not do well with uncertainty, that do not do well with change, that do not do well with, mm-hmm. you know, like a myriad of things that I really feel like COVID was bringing out, and that is that, you know, unknown anxiety where when the, when is this going to end, what's going to happen, what's going to happen to my job, where am I going to live, what's happening to my parents, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so the idea was to bring out, you know, examples, stories that could be shared that you know, it hopefully gives somebody some light that there is, that this is just a season, that this is not going to be forever. This isn't permanent. But I think if you already have been challenged with some form of addiction, this is going to make everything worse. It's going to make the situation feel worse. There's not going to be a positive to this. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a scary situation and it's, it's affecting so many people. I'll just give you one statistic from um, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, an 891% increase in call volume to the disaster distress helpline in, in March 2020 versus March 2019. I mean, so it, it's, I mean, it's just absolutely, uh, like I said, it's, it's really the exact opposite of all of the, the, the guidelines and information and suggestions and everything that a mental health or a substance abuse, you know, worker, healthcare worker would, would give them. This is really the exact opposite, and you can't do anything about it. So, um, I mean, we knew this was probably going to happen, but when you see it actually playing out and happening the way it has, um, it, you know, it's, it's a significant thing to be isolated and, and lose your job and not knowing, you know, where money's going to come in and all this type of stuff. It's a very devastating uh, situation, and they do start to lose hope. And, 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 you know, that's really the key to this whole thing. It's a big part of it. You know, they lose purpose, too. And I think when you lose purpose, losing hope is not far behind. That downward spiral of losing hope usually comes right after that because it's like, I have no value anymore. I'm not working anymore. I lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I mean, these are devastating things, and they're all in, like, one package at one time. Yeah. So people do start to lose hope because they lose purpose. Yeah. And so, I mean, I I think what's interesting about what your specific program is within Banyan Treatment Center is it's faith in recovery. There's faith as part of a a, a big component of that. And so I guess the question would be how I'm going to ask you a two part question. How important is faith in the recovery process? And then as a secondary question to that, how important is faith in fostering hope? Uh, I, I mean, I, I can just tell you firsthand from my, you know, testimony and my story where I went to many treatments through a period of seven years for, for depression, anxiety, 
gambling addiction, alcohol, all this stuff. It was just a complete disaster. It really happened from a job situation. And then that turned into resentment and unforgiveness. And that's this was your own story, Anthony. Yeah, this is my, my, what I went through myself. That's how I, why I ended up getting into this field. Yeah. So let's unpack that a little bit more. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about, you know, like the, what happened to you that led you to this life calling that you're on now? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I was never in this field or nor did I know anything about it. And and, and nor did I really have any compassion, to be honest, about people that were suffering with that. Because I I really knew nothing about it. I was in the investigation field. I was a director of corporate security. I worked in Manhattan for six and a half years, got promoted to California. So life was great, really great, monetary-wise and things like that. I was lost spiritually, but I didn't really know that. But as far as from a worldly perspective, everything was amazing. Our stock was on fire. Our stock split three times with the company that I was at. We opened up the NASDAQ. I mean, everything was going phenomenal. Then we got a new CFO, uh, and it just went downhill from there. And then my boss didn't, you know, connect. And it just, it was this infighting and political war that went on. And I was right in the middle of it. So I started to get really stressed out and things. I started to drink a lot. And I started taking a lot of Xanax because I went to the doctor. And he prescribed that to calm you down, and it works initially. But then, you know, it's like the law of diminishing returns with these things. The more you take, the more you need, and it just got worse and worse. So I ended up leaving there, and then a year later, I found out how I was basically lied to and manipulated, and things that were going on during this political war. So this is this is that war within that the the company. This was the infighting. This was the situation that you were dealing with that kind of gave rise to your anxiety and, uh, you know, sleepless nights, etc. Yes. Yeah, so this was at in California in the corporate office. And, um, I'm talking to a best friend who still worked there and I kind of was like putting a puzzle together and I was putting all these pieces together. And when I realized what really happened, I couldn't sleep that night and I couldn't sleep the next night. It went on for about a month and a half. I was just filled with rage and anger, and resentment. And that's what fueled all of these other things. So I was always trying to find a way to distract myself from my misery because I was literally miserable. Uh, I wanted to be back in California. I wanted everything to be the way it was. I had a lot of resentment for the people that did things against me. And, um, and that's what I carried for the next six and a half years. And it literally almost destroyed me. So I had no hope. I had no purpose. I had, I just, all I had was, resentment and um so that's kind of how i ended up uh shifting from investigations and security for 18 years into this field because i started to connect with a lot of people that are in this field and uh i was there was this um it's called building bridges it was conferences that we used to have and that's how i ended up connecting here and i ended up in this field but uh one of the things that's great about going through stuff like you were saying i developed a compassion for people that are going through similar things that i went through that i never had and now i do yeah i compa- myself in that yeah a compassion because because of the empathy like you you can you can empathetically relate you can understand the challenge that they're yep. dealing with because i mean the, the stories are all going to be different what gave cause to it or get what gave rise to it but the the 
situation of somebody being in a in a position where they feel like they have no control and no hope, you you understood that. You could relate to that because you lived yeah. it. So the question I had is how did you pull I mean, how did you end up at the treatment center? Did you finally hit a bottom? Did you finally get to a point where like there was nowhere else to turn and then that's how you ended up connecting with some of these people that ended up changing your career path? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was with it, what's called the, it's called the Broward County Crime Commission. I was the director of investigation. And when I went through a lot of the stuff I went through, I wanted to implement um, things to deal with addiction and mental health. And, and I ended up becoming the director of that. So that's really how things shifted to get me out of the investigation. But as far as the rock bottom, I mean, I hit so many of them. I mean, it's hard to even keep track with. But the, probably one of the worst was, you know, you burn so many bridges when you're, you're in pain, you know, hurting people hurt people. So I was hurting a lot of people emotionally, my family, my sister, you know, those types of things. And I was living with my sister in Naples, Florida. And that was like the last person out of probably hundreds of people that I was dealing with. And she found out that I was gambling again and um, she kicked me out. So I was basically homeless at that time. And what was the blessing in disguise was I ended up going to this place, St. Matthew's house in Naples, Florida, and it's basically a shelter. Right. So, so I go from, you know, high, high six figures plus incredible amounts of money with stock options to living in this shelter. But the blessing was it was connected to a faith-based program called Justin's Place. And you had to go through the shelter part. So I was literally sleeping on the floor of a, of a shelter in the kitchen on a mat with like 30 guys. And, um, but then after like a week and a half, two weeks, I ended up going into this faith program. And that's when everything really started to change. I finally was able to forgive the people that I needed to forgive. I finally was able to reestablish the relationship I once had with God. And everything just turned around really from there. I, I know what you're talking about. I, I feel like when you make the right steps, when you when you finally get to the bottom of the misery barrel, and then you move forward somehow, that like you, like God will meet you there. He meets you there, and you start to see signs of change, and that in and of itself is hope filling. Yeah, he heals the broken heart, and he binds up their wounds. I mean, when we are broken, when we are at our lowest, that's when he's closest to us. It's like the footprints poem when it says, you know. And the worst times of my life was only one set of footprints. Why did you leave me? And Jesus said, that's when I was carrying you. So it doesn't really make any sense when we're going through it. None of that six and a half, seven years made really any sense at all. It was just pain and misery. But now I look back and it makes perfect sense because I pull from those experiences all day long. Basically, I write about them. I talk about them. I present about them. So Without all that pain and suffering, even though if I was writing the story, I would have wrote it a little differently <laughs> and removed some of the pain. <laughs> but God had a different plan and he had a purpose and he worked all things together for good. And like I said, you know, they say we live our life forward. We understand it backwards. It makes no sense when you're going through the pain, when you're going through and you're in the middle of that storm and you're hopeless and everything's falling apart. But it will turn around if we keep pressing into God and putting our faith in him. He will work it together for good. He's not going to waste any suffering. 
Yeah, I I think that's so key. No wasted suffering. And I think the other component of this is that although your life is different, I think in a conventional sense, we'd look at your stock options, you, you know, your high six figure salary and all that other stuff. And I think a lot of people covet that that's and they think that that's going to bring happiness or fulfillment, etc. And I think there's a lot of people right now, I think there's very few people as a percentage of the nationwide population that are financially much better, much stronger now than they were a year ago. So I think a lot of people are going through that season right now. But what they don't understand is that that true happiness, fulfillment, life's purpose could be a byproduct of this situation that we're dealing with right now. Does that make sense, Jen? Yeah. You agree? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. And it's just like addiction is a byproduct of a lot of other pain and misery and suffering. And we're trying to medicate. We're self-medicating. That's what these clients are doing in here because they're trying to find a way out of the pain. The problem is we use something is used that causes even more pain and you never really resolved any of the original problems. So you just become in a complete state of overwhelm because you're really not resolving any conflict when you're in active addiction. You're just looking for an escape route. Like, that's why the gambling thing for me, I mean, I thought that was really the answer to all my problems because I literally was one of the only things that took my mind off of my miserable existence and everything that was going on, which none of it was good. So that's why I would jeopardize crazy amounts of money. I don't even say the amounts because nobody believes it. But, but I did because I knew as soon as I left that blackjack table, I had to go back to reality. And my reality was misery. So I would jeopardize a lot of money to stay for a couple more hours just to have a couple more hours of what I call peace. It really wasn't, but it was just a distraction from, from what was going on in my life. And that's basically what addiction is. You're looking for a way out. You know, it's like you're in this emotional maze and you're looking for an escaper and you just keep bumping into all these walls. So you're like, I, I can't take this anymore. I don't want to feel this anymore. So I'm going to use something and I'm going to medicate myself and not feel it. Yeah. And I, I could see a lot of people in that situation and a lot of people doing that. We know the, st- the statistics of it. But, you know, one question I, I have, since you're now a director and a chaplain for this faith in recovery process and program at uh, Banyan Treatment Centers, you know, is it visible for you? Do you see light or hope? Let me let me rephrase the question. Do you see hope show up as a light in somebody when 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 they when they how do I want to say it? I'm struggling saying it. In other words, I would think you know seeing a whole bunch of people uh-huh. in in a situation where they feel out of control and a, a slave to addiction. Right. Is hope more visible when it shows up in them? Can you see it? Do you see so, that moment yeah. where like they how bad shift? They want it yeah, kind of thing. Like in, in like I think that that would be encouraging to you as a director. Like right. I feel, I feel like you'd have more opportunities to witness the moment mm-hmm. that hope comes back into somebody's life. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Absolutely, because it, 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 when you're in a dark place, just a little bit of light is going to make a huge difference. You're going to notice it more because they are in such darkness, and that's why. We have a couple of clients in here right now. Uh, there's actually three. One of them just uh, completed the program. But the difference in them is, I mean, it's, it's night and day. And everybody's talking about it. I mean, it's not like it's just one person. Their demeanor's different. Their, their, their eyes look different. They have this sense of peace about them. They're excited about connecting with God. They're excited about 
developing a relationship with God and all that, you know, funnels into hope and, and, and you see it and you notice it and other people notice it. And not only that, other people are drawn to it because like I was saying, people in other programs that transfer in here, they usually do because they notice a difference in one of our existing clients because they know them. And they'll be like, oh, why, do you come, why do you want to come in the program? Well, I've known this guy for five years, and I know exactly how he always was. And there's something different about him now. And he's saying about this program, and he's saying about God, and maybe it'll work for me. So, yeah. so they're really drawing other people in just by how they are and what they're doing. There's, there's a saying that there's a fifth gospel. You know, it's, it's just the same. There's only four. But <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the fifth gospel is us. Yeah. And most people are never going to read the first four. So they're really basing anything about God or about Jesus or about the Bible or anything or Christianity in general about us. So, and, and they are a great testament and witness to God's transforming power because it's not me saying it, it's not someone just preaching to them. It's they actually witness this themselves and it's powerful. What sparks the hope? Is it most consistently is it some small win of progress? Is it is it the moment they accept maybe God into their life that that faith moment that that you know Jesus knocks on the door and we just have we just have to answer like what in all of your experience like what what engenders or what puts hope in people most consistently? I think in this program, honestly, when you start talking about like they usually come in with a distorted view of God. And it might be a view of whatever denomination they grew up in, and maybe there was a lot of judgment, and maybe there was a lot of guilt, and they thought God was looking to throw them in hell, and he wants to get back at them, and all these kinds of things that are not true. And when they finally start to realize that, that's definitely a time where that kind of light goes on, and, and they start to have hope starts to appear. Because they'll be like, I never knew Jesus surrounded himself with all these sinners and all these people. I never knew. Maybe there's hope for me. So. That's a big part of it. The other thing is just the camaraderie and realizing that there's other people that are dealing with this as well, especially when you're talking about trauma and sexual abuse, because a lot of that takes place, and that's why a lot of these people are in the situation that they're in. And, you know, they'll, they'll realize somebody else went through something very similar that they think they're the only ones that went through it, and that provides hope and encouragement as well. I mean, we had a client in here a couple, it was about a year ago now. He was probably about, he was really young, probably about 18, and he never said a word for a couple of days. And he, he had his head down, but you could see he's going through it. He was just tormented with his own thoughts. There was stuff going on in his head. And somebody shared something, an older guy, about something really horrible that happened to him when he was a young kid. And the kid that never says anything, like, looks up and raised his hand, and, and everybody, I remember everybody's like, oh my God, he's going to say something. And he shared, he goes, that's basically my story. He goes, I've never told anyone this. He wasn't just talking about in treatment. He, he's been carrying it his wow. whole life. Wow. And, um, you know, he said, he shared it, and I tell you, he looked like a different person a couple of days later, and he always went back to, I can't believe I was carrying that around. That was my whole problem. That was what was bringing me down, all that baggage that he was carrying. So that's another thing, the camaraderie and hearing other people and realizing it's not just me. There's other people dealing with things even worse than I went through or similar things. Yeah, I, I love that about yeah. hope. I love that hope is infectious. It's contagious. Yeah. It's 
it's something that if you get a couple of people, you know, it's 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 like that light. It's like right. it's like an abundance of light. You know, you bring a thousand candles into a room, and and it's much different than if you brought one into mm-hmm. a room. And mm-hmm. so the more people that are around, the more people that have hope, the more people that that have a change, a meaningful, positive change, that's contagious. Yeah. That's infectious. That's people see that and they want to have a piece of that. Mm-hmm. They they want to they want to feel that too. That's got to be extremely rewarding for you to see those successes, to see, you know, somebody turn their life around or to to see somebody at the very minimum release the the baggage that has been holding them down for so long. Yeah, it's freedom. You know, the chains break. You know, we we actually have a program, a, a group that we do called Break Every Chain. It's, uh, you know, we bring in a, a presenter and stuff, and it's all geared towards talking about how are we going to break these chains, what, what, what we're enslaved to. You know, there's a passage that says we become a slave to whatever controls us. And I tell you, I, I relate to that so well with the gambling thing because I was completely controlled by that. I could not stop, and I, and I wanted to stop. And, and you end up doing things, you're missing out on things, you're not showing up to things, all this, you, you start to become a completely different person. And all you're doing, you're really jeopardizing with addiction everything for one thing, for, the, for that addiction. Your family, your job, your everything, if your friends, is all jeopardized and you usually lose them um, for that one addiction. So you are enslaved to it. So uh, it's, it's amazing. But with, with this, this is the opposite. This is, this is like breaking free from, from that and identifying all of these underneath the surface issues. Addiction is really like a, the tip of an iceberg. They say that the iceberg, you only see about 10 to 15% of it. So most of it's underneath the surface. And that's what happens here. And they start to be open and transparent. But they have to feel comfortable to do that because these are some really painful things. Um, Like this community we have right now, they're so tight. I mean, even somebody that came in and spoke yesterday said, this is an amazing community. They really look out for each other. They encourage each other. They build each other up. Somebody's upset. There's two or three people around them trying to, you know, build them up and things. So it's a really, the whole thing increases my faith because, and I, and I only know them from when they came in. I was saying this the other day. Imagine if I knew what they were really doing like, like six months ago and a year ago. I mean, it's, it would even, it's more blown, uh, mind blowing, but just from when they come in to, to a couple of weeks later and when they leave and they finish the program is absolutely incredible. The transformation. Well, why don't you describe that a little bit for our listeners? G- give me two examples of, of the most significant and uh, substantial transformation that you've been able to witness? Because I want people to understand that no matter how dark their situation, that if somebody else could do it, maybe they could do it too. Okay. Yeah. The one that comes to mind is a guy that was here about six or seven months ago. And he was, he was just really an unhappy guy and um, very miserable. And he was an outspoken atheist. So much so that he had a tattoo on his shoulder of an atheist logo. I never even saw one before. I didn't even know there was one, but he had it. And um, so he was in here and he came into our program. And I don't even know how he ended up up here, but he was here and he said he hated it the first couple of days. And, and, but then he came into my office one day and he said, every time I try to leave, something really weird happens. And like there's these spiritual things going on. And it was almost like drawing him back. We call them God incidents. They're not coincidence. They're, getting, you know, God's trying to get his attention. That's the way we look at it. And 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 now here's a guy that's an outspoken, devout atheist, and he's talking about this stuff. So we stayed in the program. 
He came to Christ. He got baptized. His father came down and got baptized with him, and they didn't really talk to each other. So that was amazing. And he completed the program. He's like a different person. He was, and he used to actually, I gave him this position called the scribe, and he used to go around and keep track of all these people and in the program, God incidents and these spiritual things that were happening. He was in charge of that. Um, it's amazing. And then at the end, which was really the most amazing part, was he comes in and he was leaving and he goes, I'm going to keep the uh, tattoo of the atheist logo, but I'm going to put a line through it, a big line through it. And I'm going to put a cross above it because I want people to know where I was and where I'm at now. I mean, that's, that's transformation of the heart. That's, that's just, you know, yeah. and we can't do that. All we're doing is giving the information. We're trying to teach him stuff. We're trying to encourage him. But I, I mean, it's really God that, that's transforming the people. And uh, the other one that we had that was amazing was this guy was very heavily involved in like occult activity. And we do get those clients in here, believe it or not. Um, they're actually easier to deal with because they believe Jesus. They believe in God. They know that they're real. They're just on the dark side of it. So it's not a matter of trying to convince them. And same type of thing. He, he they, they sent him up here. He was here. And, uh, you know, he, he just got better and better and better. And then he uh, gave his life to, to Christ in our chapel here. And uh, the guy's doing phenomenal. It's just an incredible, incredible change. And he's a huge, like, evangelist now. He tells everybody about his story and where he's from and what he was involved in and where he's at now. So, you know, those are just two of many. But, uh, you know, it's it's. It's happening all the, all the time. It's an amazing thing. I love hearing stories like that. Jen, Jen's eyes were real big, though, when you started talking about, you know, somebody being in a cult. And she <laughs> I, she acted as though she was going to get some on her somehow, some way. I was like, way. oh, no, that word, scary <laughs> word. Have, have you ever had to turn anyone away? No, 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 I don't think we, you know, we were just talking about this the other day. Not, the only time, I think there might have been a couple of people a couple of years ago that, when they become very toxic to the community and it's affecting the community, we would send them to another program, but it very rarely, I think there might've been one or two, but years ago, mm -hmm. but we very rarely do that. And, and normally when they transfer in here, they don't leave. They stay up here yeah. um, cause they like it cause they're into it. They get excited about it. And there's a lot of, you know, hope and there's a lot of encouragement and things like that. But uh, we, we don't like to turn, people away no matter matter what and we don't like to, to have god's bigger than whatever they're dealing with right. no matter what it is even that guy that was involved with i mean it was i just that was the nice word was a cult he was, <laughs> he was actually a devil worshiper oh, <laughs> he was a 25 year satanist yeah Ooh. but um <laughs> that's but, scary but um but like i said they're actually um interesting and and easier to deal with like i said than the, the atheists like the other guy i mentioned like they yeah. just don't believe in any of the stuff and you have to try to try to convince them but these other guys they, they already know what's going on yeah, but, uh, yeah. how many I, i'm sure you've had people come through more than once so what like how many have you had somebody come through multiple times and you know did it was it the second time or the third time that that you know, that they got healthy, that they, that they clicked. solved the problem, that it clicked. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had, we actually have this guy now that was, that was in here before. We, we do get that. Um, not as much as the regular programming. They keep track of it through our, uh, through our, um, alumni department and things like that. And a couple of other different ways about, about relapsing. But the, the, the faith programming relapsing is much lower percentage than in, in the general programming. 
but we do have it. It does happen, not often. But when they come back, usually um, there's actually another guy that was just in here too. They're usually more focused. They realize that they didn't really put the effort in. They realize they missed a lot of stuff. And they're more focused and more engaged in the program. And they usually do really well. So most of the time, the second time, they're, they're, we don't see them again. I mean, they, they do they do well. Um, you know, very rarely is there a third time that they come back, but it does happen sometimes. Yeah, you know, I, I, I guess the reason I asked the question is I'm sure there's somebody out there that has been through treatment before and maybe they think that's not going to help me. It's not going to, you know, and I just I, I wanted to share that it might take two. Yeah. It might take three times, but at some point, like, you just keep yeah. trying. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, people, I mean, when they do come back sometimes, too, they're, they're a little bit discouraged and they're, um, they feel uh, embarrassed, kind of, you know, that type of thing. And we really, that's why it's good up here because it is so upbeat and it's so encouraging that it makes that transition a little bit easier. And, you know, I mean, so it's, it's almost part of uh, the whole process. People get it on the first try sometimes, but most of the time not. So, it, you know, it's not something to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. I mean, if they were still out there doing whatever they were doing, that's when it's a problem. But they actually recognize it. The other thing is they usually come back quickly. Like, it's not like they're out using and drinking and stuff for a year or two. They come back within like a couple of weeks, sometime or a month. So that's good, too. Yeah. Well, I feel like I feel like you're on the front lines of the hope battle. You know, I feel like, you know, we, we've got the Hope Radio podcast, but generally when we're, we're speaking with somebody, there's somebody that has already got some level of hope. Right. In other words, we've never had anybody on the show that was hopeless. Yeah. We've never had anybody that was, you know, just was significantly like in the, in, in the fire, like mm-hmm. I imagine that mm-hmm. you, you see. And so I guess the question I have is, you know, in, in your own words, in your own assessment, based on your experience, what are, what are the ingredients to the hope pie? Like, if we were going to make a recipe for hope, what would be the ingredients based on your experience and what you've you've witnessed? Oh, man. I, I would say that, you know, an openness, uh, being able to surrender is a, is a huge part of it. Because if you, if you hold on to all that stuff that we were talking about, those underneath the surface issues, it's hard to move forward. For example, with me, if it wasn't until I was able to truly forgive from the heart after a lot of prayer and really pressing into God to be able to forgive that I was able to forgive. And once that happened, then things started to change. So a lot of them are dealing with resentment. A lot of the clients that we have, you you have a lot of conflicts, you have a lot of pain. And like I said, you know, you're hurting. So out of your pain, you're hurting other people. You also have a lot of guilt and you have a lot of shame because when you're out there drunk or high, you're medicated you're not really feeling it or experiencing like you normally would. And then once you're in treatment, that's gone. Now you're not, you know, high or drunk and you're starting to realize all these things that you did and all the pain that you did cause. So you usually get hit with a lot of waves of, of guilt and shame. But I mean, as far as, as far as ingredients go, I mean, I would definitely say that like God has would have to be a part of that. You know, for me, there's no way I would have been able to do, any anything that I did uh, without him. I mean, that's where the strength comes from. That's where the hope comes from. All of those types of things. Uh, it, it, the hope is an anchor for our soul, you know, uh, which it says in Hebrews. It it, it keeps the the, the 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 anchor keeps us from drifting. It keeps us stable, right? 
So when you develop that relationship with God, that deep relationship, um, you have that anchor for your soul. I used to get shipwrecked emotionally like five to ten times a day, like constantly about stupid things. And I don't, I don't anymore. I just, you know, it's, he, he gives you that inner strength and then you start to try to apply biblical principles. And that's where a lot of hope comes in as well. You start to actually apply. I had to apply forgiveness, right? I knew I was supposed to. I heard it hundreds of times, you know. I knew it was in the Lord's Prayer, but I just didn't do it. So it's really about surrendering. It's about putting God first, right? And it's about applying biblical principles. And uh, I think those are the key ingredients to, uh, to hope and also purpose. Once we start to realize that we have value, we have worth, right? That's when things really start to change. And that's why a lot of people go into this field that are in recovery. It's about 80, 85% on average that, you know, are in recovery that work here. Uh, you could relate to the people. They could relate to you. You could provide hope to them because they see there might be a light at the end of the tunnel here. And, um, and you also have a compassion to deal with and that empathy that sometimes people that didn't go through it don't have because they don't understand it. Yeah. It's not the easiest thing to, to understand. So, yeah. I was just going to ask, you know, how many, how many people end up going through the program that end up coming back and giving time, resources, energy, working for, et cetera. And I, and I imagined in my own mind that that had to have been probably a significant number because you'd almost feel indebted. And then seeing that you could actually be in a much better place seeing somebody else where you were, I mean, it, it makes you want to attend to them. It makes you want to try to help them. It makes them, you want to lift them up and put and put them where you're feeling right now. So I imagine a lot of people go through the, the program and then do you get a lot of requests to somehow be involved uh, after the fact? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of uh, the 12 step programming and things like that. And it, and it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning with COVID-19 you know, a lot of that stuff is just eliminated. It can't happen. So part of, part of, you know, recovery is giving back, is making amends. It's doing the next right thing. It's trying to help someone that's, that's hurting and broken. So all of that stuff gets like taken away with this. And, uh, you know, alumni, we have a huge alumni program that, uh, they come, they come in, uh, every other week and they have meetings and things. Um, they, they, they do things in the community, together uh they speak at meetings they they sponsor someone you know someone that like holds someone accountable after they've been clean for a couple of years or whatever so there's there's so many different things that that um help the person that's in recovery but it's also helping the person that's brand new to it or, or still in active addiction so yeah well, this is this has been fascinating. I, I I could I could literally have this discussion with you all day. Um, I just find it so enlightening, and I, I feel like hope filling for me to yeah. hear you know these stories of people overcoming. I guess my question would be, you know, let's imagine that somebody out there right now is listening, and maybe they're struggling with addiction. Maybe they 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 feel like the the monsters got control of them. Maybe it's not addiction. Maybe it's just general worry or anxiety or fear over the situation, COVID, when is it going to end? What's it going to do to my life, my business, my house? How am I going to, you know, like, I, I just think that there's a lot of people out there that are financially strapped. I feel like there's a lot of people that are emotionally uh, strapped. And so like, based on what you've seen, what you've witnessed and what you do, how could you encourage somebody that's listening right now that feels like maybe they're, they're, they're not in control? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, look at this situation that you're in as an opportunity to change. And, and that change could very well be faith and, and, and either reestablishing a relationship that you once had with God or establishing one that you've never had. And, um, you know, when, when you're in the storm, people have probably told them that and said things like this like they used to with me and it would go in one ear and out the other but it had to you know I had to get to a really low breaking point and hit that complete rock bottom but the thing is with, with rock bottom it could be a great foundation in which to rebuild our life and especially when you put God in the middle of it so um, don't look at this as just random wasted suffering look at it as an opportunity to, um, to increase your faith and start to, um, you know, head towards God and start to spend time with him. And um, he will show up. It's in his timing. It's in his will. Faith in God includes faith in his timing. I prayed a lot of times in the six and a half, seven years that I was going through all the stuff, the misery that I was in. And it was miserable. It was really, really bad. But now that I look back at it, if he answered those prayers the first six months, the first year, the first two years, I'm almost sure I would have went right back to the same way that I was. So it really would have been even more pain because it would have just went on even longer. So just trust in him with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. We're not going to understand God's ways a lot of the time. And that's where the trust and the faith comes in. He's not going to steer us wrong, you know, and I would just try to just kind of press into him and get as close as possible to him and things will turn around. It's not always going to be like this. Like if you have the flu or something and you feel like you can't even lift your head up, you're like how am I ever going to go to work, you know, tomorrow or next week? And you feel like you just can't function, but you get better, you know, and you start to heal. And it's the same thing emotionally with all these things that uh, people might be going through. The, the fear is probably the, one of the biggest ones, the worry, the fear, the, the hopelessness, you know, all of those types of things. And, and this COVID-19 is a huge part of that, but that's going to go too. That's not going to last forever. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and um, I would just say, you know, take take it as an opportunity to get closer to God. Because if I didn't go through all the pain and suffering that I went for that long period of time, I would have never had faith. I would have never had a relationship with God. I definitely wouldn't be involved with ministry. Uh, so I'd still be lost, um, but um, and now I'm not. So spiritually speaking, so yeah, I will work things together to get. Yep. Well said. I, you know, I, I think one of the things I take away is, you know, to don't waste the suffering. Don't waste the trial, the tribulation. You know, like get something from it, you know, learn from it, move forward in a different way. Nobody ever wants to repeat it. Nobody ever wants to go through it again. So learn, learn the lesson and use that pain to, to move you forward, both spiritually, intellectually, physically, Etc. But uh, very well said, Anthony. It's been a it's it's just been awesome talking with you, and I I just get riveted thinking about you know these stories of people overcoming some of the worst times in their life. You're on the front lines of people overcoming what is arguably one of the worst times in their lives, and I think it's a I think it's a noble calling. So kudos to you for turning your life around to be there for others in this situation. I think that that's extremely admirable. Thank you so much. And that's great that what you guys are doing. It really, really is because you're providing tremendous hope, you know, uh, with other people's stories and talking about it and sharing it and putting it out there. That that's what people need, especially during a time such as this. So, yeah. Well, thank job. you. 
thank you for that. And uh, it's been a pleasure. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. So, okay, Sean, what did you think of that interview? I thought that was the bee's knees. The bee's knees. Another old-fashioned little thingy. Yeah, I don't know where that one came from, but um, <laughs> I, I loved it. I thought, I thought you know, here's, here's the thing. Anthony, he's on the front lines of the hope battle, right? Mm-hmm. And I love that he's waged that war himself. I feel like... Train. Train. That's the hope train right now moving on down the tracks, right? (laughs) Uh, But I feel like he's been on the front lines. And the fact that he went through challenges himself, like he went through gambling addiction. And he had to go through that six-year stretch where life was significantly Mm -hmm. unsettled for him. I think that gives him a lot more empathy. I think it gives him a lot more compassion. But I, I loved his stories of successes. Yes. Some of the people that, that, you know, got there that were in the depths of challenges and despair, et cetera. I mean, the self-professed atheist. And then, like, yeah. he even had, I hate to even say it, but somebody that worshipped the devil kind of <gasps> thing. You know, to see those yeah. people turn around. Like, yeah. how awesome is that? I think it's really cool that he gets to work there and, like, just you know, see it all happen and be part of it, you know, and what a great thing for us to have a place for people to go. Yes. You know, that there is hope for everyone. If you're struggling, if you're dealing with things that there is a place that you can go for help. Banyan treatment centers. Yes, That's where you got to go. I love that. Um, I, here's the thing that I I was most fascinated with. That moment, mm-hmm. that moment when hope sparks, yeah, when they can see it because they're in that environment. I can, I can, I can just imagine it. It's a day. It's a moment. It's a conversation. It's a, it's a meeting. It's a group meeting. But somehow, some way, that spark of hope yes. enters somebody, and you can see it in their yeah. eyes. You can see it in their attitude. You can mm-hmm. see it in how they carry themselves. Kind of like having uh, faith the size of a mustard seed. Yes. Just see, a little bit. We do this. We mm-hmm. do this Hope Radio podcast, but we don't get to see the moment that maybe hope is sparked in somebody. I know. I'm envious of that. I'm hopeful, though, that it is. So. I, I am, too. Yeah. And I know it happens, but, you know, just, just to be able to witness yeah. it and to see it. It's you called know? having faith. I have faith that it is happening right now. I agree. And uh, you know why it's happening? Why? Because somebody's listening. They listen to the show. And so how would they listen to more of our shows? You can listen to us on iTunes. Yes. iHeartRadio. Google Play. Spotify. Uh, Alexa. SoundCloud. Stitcher. Wow. Look at you rolling them off. I like the S ones. Did you have a list? Did you come prepared? No, but I had a coffee right here. Oh, that helps. All right. All right. Makes my brain work. And uh, we want people to like and subscribe. Mm -hmm. And so how do people like and subscribe? Well, you have to like and you, you go to those channels. Well, you like and subscribe on those channels, or yeah. you can follow us. Yeah, you can follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Hope Radio Podcast. I set you up wrong. I didn't say you did. follow. I know. I said like and subscribe. So I apologize to you for that. <laughs> Thank you for your apology. Please forgive me for it my is accepted. oversight. Mm, that's good. <laughs> I feel better now. <laughs> me too. All right. <laughs> shall we do another Hope Radio Podcast, Jennifer? I think we shall. Shall we? <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> I don't know. But let's do another one. Let's do it.